Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Zeke, you too. First Samuel, not second. There we go. All right, let's let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would you would fill us with faith, that you would encourage us, that you would rebuke us, Father, that we would learn uh, from this word, and that we would not just be those who hear your word and walk away uh, having not learned. Father, we pray that we would be hearers and doers of your word. And so, Father, we pray that uh, once again your word would do its work in us. And, Father, that we would be made like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we do desire to grow in holiness. We desire to walk in a way that would bring you glory. We desire to walk with uh, faith. And so we ask that you would... Uh, use this time for the building up of your people by your Holy Spirit through the word preached. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel 17 is a familiar passage. It's one of the passages we learn early on in our Christian walk. Um, no doubt you've heard sermons on David and Goliath. And um, you've thought about it. You've thought about it in your personal meditations. And um, probably numerous times, and tonight we'll focus our thinking on this passage with the following question, whose honor do you care about? Whose honor do you care about? Do uh, your own honor or God's honor? I think that's what this passage boils down to. Whose honor do you care about? The enemies of Christ, think of it this way, the enemies of Christ who are living for their own glory... And children, I want you to listen to this, okay? Don't play with stuff. Don't bother your grandmother or your mother. Listen, okay? Um, there are going to be people who tempt you to live for your own glory. Okay? They will tempt you to live for your own glory or for the honor of some accomplishment or for some other man. Right? They'll tempt you by saying that living well means being liked. Right? Living well means being liked. It means following the latest trends. It means uh, having money. It means being attractive or popular. It means having the right clothes or style. Being ironic and hipster is what will make you uh, live a good life. Having the right political views, you know, being on the right side of history is what will make you uh, have a good life. But those are all very trivial things, aren't they? All very trivial things. The worldling despises God and resists honoring Him. The worldling, and that's a word you need to learn. Worldling, right? One who is from and lives in the world. The worldling is... A is, is 
is uh, a despiser of God and resists honoring him. Knows that they should honor him, but refuse to honor him. Okay? And he, and, and the worldling does a really good job marketing that. Right? All advertisements are the worldling trying to orient your life around honoring yourself. Doing what will feel good, doing what will pay off in the eyes of others. So they do a really good job marketing. Perhaps we don't as Christians do a good enough job marketing our honoring of God. Um, and the only way to market honoring God is actually to live in godliness. Right? That's the only way. Um, and, and marketers try to draw in as many people as possible, and what they're going to try to do is draw you in to honoring yourself. We're influenced and at times live in ways that lead to our own honor rather than God's honor, don't we? If we live to honor God, how will we find ourselves? We'll probably find ourselves in a lot more conflict. Probably a little bit more conflict in your life if you honor God. Those who desire to live in a godly manner will be persecuted. That's what scripture says. Um, there, there will be conflict between those who love God and those who love themselves. Uh, we have to be prepared to enter into that kind of battle. Okay? And a soldier obviously doesn't go into to battle without the right weapons. So, so we turn to uh, look at this battle between the young King David and the Philistine giant and, and blasphemer Goliath. Um, God... God is a jealous God, right? Do you know what that means? God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God and desires that all glorify Him. Uh, so, so we have to be bat- prepared for the battle that has come upon us. Will we walk by faith or by sight? Will we live a life to the glory of God or to the glory of ourselves? Those two things are antithetical. They live in competition with one another. Okay, there's no way to do both. You either will love one and you know hate the other. You know what Jesus says, right? Will you live to honor yourself or will you live to honor God? Do you want your own glory or do you want to see God glorified? That's a choice that you have every day. Do you want your own glory or do you want God's glory? And he gives you a thousand ways to prove that every day. Right? A thousand choices that he sets before you. And he says, glorify me in every one of them. So, a few lessons from David and Goliath. You will have to engage the enemy. That's lesson one. You will have to engage the enemy. You have a decision to make to flee or fight. If we are lazy and refuse to take on the enemy, there will be negative consequences. God, and the biggest negative consequences of not entering into battle is God will not receive the glory if we run from the fight. God won't receive the glory. Now let's read 1 Samuel 17, 1-11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah and Ephedamim. 
Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, ten feet. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, They were dismayed and greatly afraid. So notice that Goliath challenges one from the ranks of Israel. Rather than launch into battle army against army, the proud Goliath makes the situation a game. If I defeat one of you, all of you will serve us. If one of you defeats me, then all of us will serve you. Certainly an 11, 10, whatever, 10-ish foot tall uh, giant would delight in taking on a five foot seven Israelite, or, or in this case, a five foot tall teenager, right? Notice the reaction of Saul and the rest of the army of Israel in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Jumping down to verse 23, which we haven't read yet, it says, As he, David, was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And so the armies of Israel were afraid they fled before the, the taunts of the giant. But notice that Saul, the, the, and, and Saul, remember where we are with Saul. Saul has sinned and sinned and sinned again. And Samuel has told him, you are no longer the king. And David has already been anointed, right? He's, he's already the king, um, but not yet the king. <laughs> he's not serving yet, but he's been anointed for the office. And so... Um, Saul makes this into, uh, has also made this contest into a game. If a man comes out of Israel and defeats Goliath, Saul will give that man his daughter. We read that coming up. But the job, the calling of the king is to do what? To protect and defend Israel. Protect and defend. Saul gave up that work some time before this Philistine uprising. He He had turned his back on the people of Israel But the king is to fight the enemy. King. Yet he protects himself by making this offer of his daughter. Saul should be walking out into the midst of the army to fight with Goliath. 
That's what Saul should be doing, right? It is his office. It is his calling. And he knows that that day he might die. But he has to go, right? Think of Saul hiding behind his lines, racking his brain to think of a way to get out of this fight. Oh, I'll offer my daughter. I'll offer my daughter to the man who goes out and settles the score. And so remember I said that you must engage the enemy. Well, Saul refuses to engage this enemy. He refuses to engage the enemy. Um, What other king committed sin by not taking on the enemy? David himself. David, later David becomes, this is the closest David comes to becoming King Saul. Otherwise, he's a man after God's own heart, right? But David... Uh, refuses to engage the enemy, and, consequence, and the consequences are drastic. Second Samuel 11, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. What happened? Well, he succumbed to all kinds of temptation. He ended up He ended up committing adultery and then covering it up by murder. Okay, and so that's David acting like King Saul. A faithless, unregenerate man. But David repents very quickly after he commits those sins. But had David been at work, engaged in the battle, leading the armies of Israel, protecting and defending his people, even the thought of adultery would have been far from his mind. He would have been too busy. He would have been too bloodied. He would have been too, too uh, burdened by the task, right? Uh, and that's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, says Proverbs. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns. Idle time will be used for no good. Okay, when the enemies of your faith arise... Therefore, taking this passage as an example, taking Saul as an example, and later David. So when the enemies of your faith arise, you're going to be tempted to be idle. You're going to be tempted to flee. You're going to be tempted to not engage. But fleeing from the battle is only going to lead to what? Greater sin. Greater temptation. And our enemies are never, I mean, as far as I know, they're never 11-foot giants. Sometimes they're not even people at all. Right? Sometimes our enemy is simply the desires of our own flesh. Uh, say you worry about everything. Your upcoming grades, your health, the way you look, work, money. When worry starts to grip your mind, will you engage in the battle against that? Right? Oftentimes we just, no, we won't engage it. We'll just let our worry spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And we don't want to stop to fight, to engage, to to engage that sin, sin, and so all we do is end up putting sin on sin. Will you enter into the battle? The next time you worry, will you fight it? Will you engage it? So when worry crops up, nip it in the bud by falling on your knees and praying. Right? Use the weapons that God has supplied to you, like prayer, like confession, like scripture, like meditation, like worship, like your brothers and sisters here who are around you. And you'll put up a good fight. God has given you weapons. Avail yourself of the weapons. Will you pursue the path of purity or the path of impurity? If you don't, think of this. This is the point. 
If you don't, God will not be glorified in you. God will not be glorified in you. He gave you His Spirit that He might glorify Himself in you. Right? And the Spirit is the most powerful weapon that we have in these battles. Second lesson. You'll be tempted to do things for the praise of man instead of for the praise of God. True? Yeah, everybody nod your heads. You'll be tempted to do things for the praise of man instead of the praise of God. Will we serve only where the world honors us or will we serve where God honors us? Which it might be humble, it might be small, it might be unseen. But remember this, before your own honor is humility before God. Before your own honor is humility before God. Now let's read the next section, verses 12 through 16. Now David was one of the sons of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. and He had eight sons, and Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of the, his three sons who went into battle were Eliab. Is it Eliab or Eliab? How do you guys say it? Eliab? Eliab? Should we go with that? Let's go with Eliab, the firstborn. And the second to him, Abinadab. And the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flocks at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. So notice, notice how David, who's been, who's been serving in Saul's court, playing the harp for him when afflicted, and who has already been anointed by Samuel to be the king, was still tending his father's flocks. Verse 15. So... You know, to make this more understandable, it'd be like this. You have been serving in the West Wing of the White House with frequent visits to the Oval Office, yet you continue to slop the pigs at your family farm in rural. You have the mind of Christ, the mind of the one who, you know, with whom and by whom all things were made. And the Spirit of God who plumbs the depths of God fills your heart, right? There's more wisdom and ability in the pinky finger of a child of God than there is in the finest most well-educated pagan brain. Okay, so remember that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And David, rather than fearing Goliath and reeling from his taunts about his youth, feared God and obeyed his commands. Had David listened to his brother or had he listened to King Saul, Goliath may have made his way through the ranks of Israel, right? And the kingdom would have fallen, Right? Those who were seemingly protecting David were actually doing what? Working against God. Do not allow those who reason in a worldly manner cause you to doubt your calling to live and reason and argue and fight in a way that brings glory to God. Right? But again, you'll, you'll be tempted to adopt the strategy of a worldling and to live to be respectable in the eyes of men rather than in the eyes of God. Fourth lesson, you have a decision to make when enemies mock you. When your enemies mock you, you have a decision to make. Are you going to give glory to God and rise to the challenge or run and allow God's honor then to be mocked? 
This is the part of the story we love to read, right? Verse 40. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose. And came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. So I said this is the part of the story that we love to read because we fantasize about having a faith like David's and flexing our muscles in a battle like this. But in reality, let's not be so proud. We have a hard time defending God's honor when we hear someone blaspheme while we're waiting in line at a grocery store, let alone a 10-foot giant who's taunting the armies of Israel. When others around us take the Lord's name in vain, we just look around the other way and we pretend we did not hear them because we just don't want to, you know, we just don't want to get, uh, we just don't want to be ornery, right? But, but really it's we lack courage to fight for God even on a tiny, tiny scale. Even were we with Israel at this time and when Goliath taunted Israel, we'd be saying, well, you know, guy doesn't know the Lord, we should probably cut him a little slack. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know the Lord. We should build a bridge for dialogue. But see, see what David did. David, see what David did as he trusted in the Lord's guidance. He first, he first gives glory to God, claiming that his victory is going to come from him. He gives the glory to, uh, of the victory to God and shuts the mouth of this graceless Bruce, uh, brute Goliath. Um, but second, he, as he has opportunity, acts. He acts. This is not just a war of words, right? He takes the small polished stone from his bag and he lodges it in the, the forehead of his opponent. And he kills the enemy and God gets the glory. Right? Now think of your enemies, You may be thinking of people, for better or worse, yet our enemies are not always people, as I said before. Perhaps you're tempted to spend all of your time in front of 
in front of video game machines or television or the computer or your iPhone or, you know, all of that has you captivated, you first of all have to acknowledge that there are, in these things can be and indeed often are the enemies of your soul. Not many are willing to see things in this light. Uh, I mean, I have to be very careful with the television because it just captivates my mind and my discontentment and my lust. Okay, and therefore, it's an enemy, right? If it does that, it's an enemy. Um, So what do we do about it? First, we acknowledge, like David, that the victory belongs to God. In the case of the television, this would be... Um, understanding that contentment and satisfaction is only found in God, not in these things, and then you kill the enemy. You just kill the enemy. Um, you, 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 you protect yourself from the enemy. And so far too often we allow our enemies to be our counselors when we should, like David, be courageous and act against them. Um, far too often we feed our enemies. And we do so because we're not living to honor God first. To honor God first would mean to make war with his and our enemies. That's what it would mean. Not to give in to their demands or cower in response to their supposed strength. Um, Honor God. Lesson five, as the Lord directs your path, and if you live your life to honor him, your life will shame those who are strong and wise in the eyes of the world, and they will hate you for it. They will hate you. As we continue through 1 Samuel, we will see the um, decline and death of Saul and the rise of David to the throne. Uh, we read the people praising David above Saul. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Um, We read this in chapter 18. David was prospering or acting wisely in all his ways for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. So when Saul sees God getting victory through David, Saul hates him. And so children and brothers and sisters, if you live to honor God, you'll be a stench to many people. We just hate that. We hate that. We hate being a stench to our families, our extended families. But if you live to honor God, it's going to happen. You won't have to say anything. Just live according to God's law and people will hear you rebuking them with your very life. Right? They will loathe you. They will mock you for honoring God, for living to honor God. And no doubt your righteous life, and even the hatred of it by others gives glory to God. That gives glory to God. But be careful lest you fall into sin and think that there is more pleasure in sin than in obedience. Your enemies will love that. And they will encourage you in it. Forsake God. Live for sin. Come along with us. So, one last point of this. The end of this. Let's read the last section. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. But when the Philistine 
when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron, and the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shararim, or Shar-aim, even to Gath and Ekron. Sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when, David saw, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. So we see David get the victory, and then this last part confuses us. We're like, how in the world does Saul not know who David is? It's very simple, the explanation. If you go back and look at um, verse 25. Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to divide Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Saul wants to know who his father is. Where does he come? He knows David, but he wants to know what house he comes from because he's, he's going to receive freedom. He's going to receive this gift from Saul. So I think that's an easy explanation of this. Another explanation possibly because, would be that Saul is not in his right mind, so he doesn't really know what's going on. That's another possible explanation, but I think it's easy to see. He wants to know that his father is Jesse so he can give him freedom in Israel. So to conclude, what's your ambition? What's your ambition, Thomas? What's your ambition? This is, there is godly ambition and there is worldly ambition. Worldly ambition is to make your own name great. Godly ambition is to make God's name great. Right? Which ambition drives your, your actions, your, your purpose? You want to be known as cool or do you want to be... Um, or do you want God to be known as great? Uh, you want to be praised, or do you want to see God praised? Um, what about David? It's clear he had in mind God's glory. Do you say, like he said when he engaged in battle, such and such is going to happen that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel? Such and such is going to happen because, I, because it is true. There is a God in Israel. You have, we all have ample opportunities to live in the same manner. Living in godliness is a choice to proclaim the reality of God's glory rather than to live in godlessness and proclaim your own glory. So what will it be? Thomas, I get to pick on my own kids. You know, that's the privilege of the pastor. I'll do it to your kids, too, if they annoy me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Whenever, here's the point, and what I think we see in David in this passage, King David. Whenever your own pride is at stake, you should not get up in arms. But when God's glory is at stake in any situation, you should be swift to act. Right? Decisive unyielding in situations like that. 
Um, why is it that we get so upset when people don't give us the honor that we think we deserve, but we're passionless when, when the honor of God is on the line? We're just passionless. It's because we live for our own glory and not for God's glory, because we have a, a short-sighted and sinful focus on our worldly desires and not upon that which is ultimate in all the universe, God's glory. I mean, at the end of the ages, all that's going to be proclaimed, the one movie that's playing, the one book that will be read, the one voice that will be announcing what's true, is, is it's all going to be God will be glorified. God is glorified. That is the end of all history. And so participate in that proclamation of the glory of God now by living godly, by defending his name, by not getting upset when people are dragging your name through the mud. They did that to Jesus. Just accept that you're being like Christ. But then defend and speak about the honor of God. So tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday, right? Many of you are back to work. Many of you are back to school. Many of you are back to, to homeschool. Whose glory will you live for just tomorrow? Um, yours are God's. Yours are God's. Whose honor will you defend? Will you spend time defending your own honor, or are you going to spend time defending God's honor? That's how I take David and Goliath. That's how I take it. He's a man who was after God's own heart, who had God and his glory on his mind, and couldn't stand that. The whole armies of Israel were just weak and unable to stand up and say, this guy has taunted the armies of the living God. He's taunted God. I won't stand for that. Your children live disobediently. They're taunting God. Are you going to stand for it? Or are you just going to say, ah, you know, no big deal. Let's just relax about it. No, let's live for the glory of God. Tomorrow you have this choice to live for God's glory or to live for your own glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for David's example, we thank you that like Jesus, he acted and was courageous. Not because he wanted the glory for himself, not because he felt obligated for the praise of men, but because he loved you and he desired to honor you and he would have you treated as holy before the people. So Father, I pray that we would take courage, that we would take heart, that we would, we would forget about our own glory and that we would think more upon your glory and how we can witness to it, how we can speak to it, how we can always be living for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.